Good morning, Sandville Church. Good to see you. Glad to have so many here in the third service and during these special days. Really had a lot of people in all the services. Had to put some overflow in the second service, which was a, a lot of fun as well. As we continue in our series on the Ten Commandments, I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you brought one, and we're welcoming you online to do the same thing. And find the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, and the 12th verse as we continue in this series on the Ten Commandments, and we'll give some explanation as we go. There is an American icon uh, no, no longer with us who is an artist and an illustrator and he gave speeches with his paintbrush. Norman Rockwell was his name. Many of you are familiar with his hundreds of pictures that sort of drew you in. Uh, every one of them would tell a story in and of themselves. Uh, he wrote for the Saturday Evening Post and then later on for the more liberal magazine, Look. And uh, in 1941, on the eve of World War II, Pearl Harbor had not occurred yet, uh, President Roosevelt gave a very impassioned speech about how Americans desire to have uh, freedoms, and he identified the four areas of freedom, or four, in fact, uh, Rockwell was so inspired by the speech, at two o'clock in the morning, he got up and began to paint, and he would do so over the next six months and create these four uh, pictures that depicted the speech that Roosevelt gave, and he talked about the freedom of speech and you can see, even in the picture itself, it, uh, just, you know, it just everything just sort of draws you in as this individual is, is obviously exercising his freedom of speech, freedom of worship. Uh, and then the other freedom was freedom uh, from want or need. And you see the family table around Thanksgiving. And then finally, the freedom from fear as you have these, uh, this, uh, this mom and dad tucking their kids in, and you can see the dad holding a newspaper that says something about bombings, and, and the word horror is there, and yet here they are uh, with their freedom from fear. I am a post-war baby boomer. I grew up in the 60s. I grew up in the anti-establishment counterculture movement, though too young to be actually participated in it. If I was a little older, I surely would have. The anti-war, Vietnam was going on at the time, free sex, the gay movement was getting its traction during that time, and the women's rights movement was also gaining a lot of traction, uh, racial segregation, and then, of course, the exploding drug culture that was taking place with Woodstock and everything else. And really undergirding the entire thing uh, of the counterculture was a resistance to all authorities and particularly the dismantling of the family. The dismantling of the family was the ideology that was growing during the 60s and really shook our nation to its very foundation. And the family, which is, the family which is by virtually every reputable study ever done, uh, is the very foundation and hope of every nation, every society, every place on earth. Norman Rockwell would have agreed with that, and in fact, it was during that time he would often picture the, uh, on the front covers of these magazines, pictures of families, happy families. But he also recognized what was going on in the nation at that time, and in 1963, actually painted a very controversial picture, and he titled it, The Problem We All Live With, as he had a 
a little African-American girl being escorted to school with epitaphs on the wall behind rotten vegetables being thrown and this and that. The 60s, this is the 60s, okay, really shook our nation down to the very foundation. And the foundation is the family. Our present crisis is doing this exact same thing. And the family is the foundation of a nation. Speaking of which, the writer of the Psalms asked the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? That's a good question. He doesn't say if the sides are kicked in or if the, the roof is taken off. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Now, we've been looking at these Ten Commandments, and we're now at the halfway point. We're at number five, and here it is. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that, that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, you could argue that these commandments, all ten of them, are so, so unified, so uh, interconnected, that you can tell how seriously one takes the first half, which is in reference to God, by the way in which he responds in the second half, in which the way we respond to people. The great Hebrew Bible expositor Alex Motier says, there is no such thing as a concern for God that ignores our relationship with people. And the Bible is consistent with that. Even on the flip side of the Bible, all the way to the other side, in 1 John chapter 4, John writes at the very end of the chapter, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Notice the connection. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love God. His brother. So it's consistent with Scripture. In fact, you remember that encounter that Jesus had with that Pharisee that came up to him and said, hey, what's the great commandment? And many of you know the answer. He said, well, the great commandment is you've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? And then the, he says, and the second one, he says, is love your what? Love your neighbor as yourself. But in between those two commandments, this is what a lot of people don't see. This is what Jesus said. And the second is what? Say it. He said it's like it, which means he was mirroring. There is a divine symmetry between loving God and loving men. In fact, Jews, the Jews put the fifth commandment into the into the first tablet. So if you've got two tablets, the first one we've already looked at in reference to God, the second one more horizontal, you know, uh, in reference to man, really the Jews would put the first one, that is honoring father and mother, in the first one. I see it more as a hinge. You can picture those two tablets hinged together. This one is the hinge. And by the way, if you haven't been with us, just to review... We, we, the very first commandment is no other gods, right? Have no other gods before you because there aren't any other gods, amen? And the other one, then the next commandment, the second commandment is, is don't worship the true God in a false way by creating images, either physically or mentally. Both are idols to you and I. The third commandment is don't take his name in vain. Don't, don't be useless with the name of God. And then the fourth one was to rest and worship the Sabbath law there. 
Uh, and I, by the way, my thanks to Greg Pollock and Jason Gerwell, who did a great job of uh, really exposing those commands. And the last one, you know, we saw last week, to rest into worship. Remember Jesus once said, and, and by the way, every single one of these commandments have a New Testament counterpart. Every one of them do. Even the Sabbath. Jesus said, come apart with me and rest. Have you ever read that? I think it was the great Southern Baptist, Vance Havner, who said, if you don't come apart and rest, you'll just come apart. And so I appreciated what Jason said, with families chasing everything all over the place, never taking a break for anything. So anyway, the fifth commandment. That's going to take us into the home and into the family. Now, as soon as somebody mentions the law, because the Ten Commandments is the law, the first thing you hear is, well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. And I say, amen, brother, amen, sister. Romans 6 declares that. We're not under the law, but under grace. The problem is, our human nature tries to take grace and turn it into license. But, the, but God will not allow that to happen. That's why Paul said in the book of Titus, he said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. So that's the grace of God. So there's the New Testament counterpart to this. And here's the verse again. Look at it. Honor your father and mother. No, notice there's no age here. There's no word children. The New Testament counterpart does put children in here, but not here. Honor your father and mother. That's an ageless thing. You should always honor your father and mother. That's the idea. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I've had plenty of rear view time <laughs> in my life. Having raised 10 kids, that pretty much makes me an expert, doesn't it? I don't see anybody shaking their head, but you should be shaking your heads. As I think about all my own missteps, stupid decisions, dumb things I've done, sins I've committed, uh, if you've been around for several years, it was eh, about six years ago that we had a family emphasis here where we preached a series on the family at night. I brought my entire family up on this platform, unrehearsed, and we just sort of had at it. Anybody remember that? And I said, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm going to ask you a question. I had to wait for my two youngest to, you know, come out of the pit where they were in, and, you know, but, but I didn't know what was going to come out of their mouths. And I said, look, there, I only got one rule on this deal. If you throw your dad under the bus in front of everybody, at least leave a leg sticking out so they can, you know, pull me out. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And I think the reason why isn't because they were, you know, there's some super Christians by them, because they weren't. But they'd learned the grace of God themselves by then. They were growing up. They, they'd experienced their own forgiveness, and they're still experiencing that. And by the way, to, a note to you teenagers, I don't know how to explain it, but you're going to have an epiphany someday. It, it, it's, it's, it's the most amazing thing. One of these days, your parents are going to go from complete imbeciles to brilliant. I'm not kidding you. I don't know how it happens. It's, it happens sometime between 21 and 24. They go from knowing nothing to know. Jeez, they're not stupid afterwards, I guess. Get a few amens out there. 
What a learning curve. All right, let's get back to this. He, he says, honor your father and mother. That's a, that's a rich word. The word kavod, it's the Hebrew word, which means, it means heavy, means weighty. It implies respect for the authority or the authorities in your life. In this case, your mother and father. And it means to prize. It means to highly esteem. It means, yes, yes, it does. It means to obey. And that's the reason why the counterpart in the New Testament says this. And we've memorized, my, all of our kids memorized these verses. We even made up a song. We sang this verse, and you'll thank me for not singing it to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, by the way, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's your counterpart. The word obey is a great word here. Children, obey. It's the word we get our English word acoustics from this word. So we've got a sound booth back there. Our own Doug Porter is the, is the, is the manager of it all. Several individuals running monitors, running screens, running video, and he's running the acoustics. So anytime I raise my voice, he might be adjusting me a little bit. I, I've learned not to get too smart aleck with Doug. He just cuts me off. He's got the power back there to do it. But what is he doing? He's adjusting. And th- this, is, this is a Hebrewism here. The word obey means to hear. It, it carries the idea of leaning into. And you'll read that in the Proverbs. Incline your ear to me. Have you ever read that? That's the idea of obeying. And so, and just as it, just as we adjust our hearing, you know, I mean, you got to admit, I mean, what parent, I mean, a lot of parents, maybe all parents at one time have heard your kids go, what? Well, you know, they heard you, but they're not leaning in. (laughs) It's not their nature to lean in. And so this is the idea here. We adjust. We often say that holiness I've defined my personal definition of holiness or sanctification is adjusting yourself to God. That's what we do as we walk with God. We're adjusting ourselves to him. We're getting the acoustics right, so to speak. So, and in fact, the, the Puritans understood this. The Puritans had a line. They said a child should be his parents, watch this, echo. When the father speaks, the child should echo back in obedience. Pretty cool. To the Jew, to honor, this weight, this weighty element, also had a broader application to it. So this is, in other words, to a Jew, you didn't just obey your physiological mother and father. That was your primary person to obey. But the Jews said that you were, to, you were to honor all men and women in authority that were older than you. And you'll read that in the Bible. You'll see people call somebody their mother or their father. And they're, that, they're not really, you know from reading it, you're not really, have you ever had that happen? That, he's, he's not really your father. But that's the Jewish mentality to so esteem all authorities that you look at them as mothers and fathers. And by the way, the New Testament has a counterpart. What do you know? 1 Timothy 5. In the church, Paul says to Timothy, treat older men as fathers. Treat older women as mothers. Teach, treat younger women as sisters in all purity. Pretty cool, isn't it? There's balance across the board. 
So th that's the way you look at it. I mean, I'm going to pick on them here. Over here in the nosebleed is Joe and Janice Funkhauser. They're over here. They've been friends of mine for about 120 years. I don't know how long it is, but it's been a long time. When I was a student in Bible college, uh, I knew Joe and Janice. And today they're celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. We should give them a round of applause. But I also take this opportunity because Joe used to say years ago when his kids were growing up, he'd say to me and he'd say to the other guys around him, he'd say, if my boys act up, you have my permission to bop them in the head. Now, it was a figure of speech, you know, but here's what he was saying. I respect you. They're to respect you. And if you have my permission to speak into their lives. And don't we want the men and women of God to speak into our kids' lives? You better believe we do. And that's been going on forever. And so that's, that was all conveyed in this word honor. All of that is conveyed. And I, look, I don't want to sound puritanical or Victorian here. But just, you know, bear with me for a moment, will you? I miss the days where kids called their adults Mr. and Mrs. I miss that. Now, let me make myself clear here. I don't have a problem if you call me Pat. You have my permission. You don't even need my permission. You, I have no problem if you call me Pat. But if your eight-year-old does, that's a problem to me. I'll tell you why. The reason is because you may be unwittingly dismantling their God-ordained sense of reverence that they are to have for their adults. You know, when a cop pulls you over, you don't say, hey, it's John, isn't it? What do you think? What are you doing? No, you say, hey, officer, what? You know, you show respect for the authority, do you not? I think sometimes parents unwittingly are fueling what our kids already have, a built-in resistance to authority by way of their sin nature. So to respect, now, I'm not, I'm not putting an edict out there. Your kid wants to call me Pat. Oh, well, I'll answer to him, I guess. But there he is. I'm, okay, I'm off my little, uh, well, not yet. One more, <laughs> one more. Back, back in the first church I pastored, there's a guy named Jerry Hinton. I love Jerry. He's a good friend of mine. But he, my son called him Mr. Hinton one day, and I was right there. He goes, don't call me that. Call me Jerry. I took Jerry aside. I said, Jerry, I got news for you. He's not calling you Mr. Hinton. For your sake, he's calling you Mr. Hinton for his sake. I want him to respect your authority. Okay, I'm off my little high horse here. Our, because our, their, our nature is to default toward resistance. Otherwise, why, would we being, why are we being told to obey? If it's, not if it's not natural for us to obey. By the way, I fought my parents' authority. I wasn't a Christian. I fought my parents' authority. I embarrassed them on more than one occasion, getting arrested. That, that embarrassed my parents. Getting kicked out of school, that embarrassed my parents. And so when I got saved, I became a Christian. First thing I do is I go over and I start witnessing to my parents. And they're not taking it. They're not receiving it. They don't want it. They're offended by it. Why? Because... I wish if I could go back and do one thing, I would, have, I, I, I would have learned. I couldn't help this. I learned this later. I, I needed some making up to do. I had some unfinished business. I circled back to them a couple months later, and I said, I am so sorry for being the rebellious rascal that I was for the longest time and the pain and the you-know-what that I was to you. Will you please forgive me? And they did which made the gospel more enhancing to them after that. 
to see that their son recognized, you know, what an idiot he had been. By the way, it's not a bad idea to you who have not yet gone to your parents having, you know, put them through the mill to do so and let them know, let them know how much you appreciated their parenting and their patience through the process. Okay, so let's just, let's just buckle down here for the balance of our time with why should children obey? That's the question where we're going to be using this. We're going to be staying in the New Testament counterpart a little bit, especially in Ephesians 6. But we're looking at the fifth commandment and its counterpart. And remember, we're adding children here. So what we're going to see in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 is basically, watch this, it's basically a New Testament exposition of Exodus 20, verse 12. That's what it is. It's, it's an explanation of it is what it is. And, uh, and, and it's not because... It, so when he adds the word children, children obey your parents. Uh, it's not, he's not thinking simply of little, tiny... Not, it's, not, it's not the word infants. It just means children. And all of us are children. Amen? All of us... It doesn't say, believe on the Lord Je- Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It does say that. It, it, do, it doesn't say... Uh, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the adults of God. <laughs> it says we become the what? The children of God. We all are the offspring of somebody physically and, of course, spiritually as well. The command is ageless to honor your father and mother. Nevertheless, it does begin at an early age of life. So I want you to note that the terms that Paul uses in Ephesians and in Colossians, they're basically parallel books. He uses non-abstract terms. You, you don't sit down with your three-year-old and start and say, you know, let me talk to you about the hypostatic union of Jesus. You know. You know, unless you got some child prodigy, that's not the case. You, you use non-abstract terms, and this is the case here. Uh, why should children obey? Well, here's the first non-abstract, because it pleases God right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But in Colossians 3.20, it says, obey your parents in everything because it pleases the Lord. I mean, a child can understand that. Can't he or she? And by the way, the Greek word pleasing means well-pleasing. It's well-pleasing to God when we obey. Second non-abstract turn, because it's right. How's that for you? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. It's right. That makes sense. Kids can understand that. They can get that black and white, right? It makes sense. It's right. And here's a third reason. It goes well with you when you do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. Now he's going right to Exodus uh, 20, verse 12 which is the first commandment with the, with the promise. And here it is. Here's the promise. It'll go well with you. That's a pretty good deal. I mean, parents, how many of you have put incentives in front of your kids? Raise your hand. You put some kind of incentive at one point or another. Yeah, I mean, you, you do this, you get paid. You get your allowance or you, you're, you, know, you get paid. You, you, you get to go out for ice cream. You, we're, God understands kids. They need to be incentivized beyond just because I said so. That's why. That works for a while, but it won't work for long. I've seen it totally backfire in many lives, even my own. Here's the fourth non-abstract term. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. 
that it may be well with you, Paul says, and, then, and that you may live long on the earth. Now, that is what the, that is what the Old Testament says, too. You, you live a long life. That you may live long on the earth. I, I called my, I, I got a hold of my, my, uh, my oldest, not, our, not my, our second uh, oldest son. And uh, just the other day, and I said, hey, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out an old illustration, if you remember. Yeah, it'll be a good one, Dad. So here we were as a young family. We lived in a home that was right across the street from a pizza hut. And between us was a very busy highway, cars whipping by 40, 50 miles an hour. And we were going to splurge. We were going over to the pizza hut that night. So I had, I don't know how many kids, a bunch of them, Okay. And we're standing on the curb on one side, and I said, okay, let's go. What I meant was, let's go together in unison, in lockstep. I didn't, apparently didn't explain that, because all my son wanted to do was have pizza. And he, because I saw a car coming fast, but I just, I said, let's go, you know, meaning the car will go by. And it, he took off, just like that, right at the car. And instinctively, I said, Stop! And I mean, on a dime he stopped, I can still picture it in my mind's eye, the, the, his shirt fluttering as the car hit it, hit his shirt as it went by. If he had hesitated for just a split second, he'd have been dead for sure. That you may live long <laughs> on the earth. Now, now, I mean, that literally saved him physically, the law that is. But you need to know something about this Hebrew phrase because it's discouraged many people. You read these kind of things and somebody dies at a young age. They have an accident. They die in their youth. Jesus died when he was 33. He didn't live to be old. The expression to live long was a Hebrewism that did not mean to live to be 100. That's not what it meant. What it meant was to have an abundant life, to have a blessed life, or to put it differently, to have a full life. So you can say that. I, I talked to one of our, we had a 26-year-old woman get cancer and die several years ago. Godly woman. Died at 26. And uh, it was sad. It was a sad day around here when it happened. But I talked to her mother just a couple hours ago. And this message just gave her, just gave her so much hope and encouragement because her daughter lived a very full life. She loved the Lord. That's the idea here. When you live a life of obedience, coming into your God-given authority, God will bless you, and he will give you a full life. One of my greatest, one of my favorite quotes outside of the Bible was by a 21-year, a 21-year-old man, a junior at Wheaton College in 1949. He was writing in his journal, and he said, he said, he's writing to God, he says, I seek not a long life, but a full one like yours, Lord Jesus. That was Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, seven years later, with four of his friends, would be speared to death by Alka Indians trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, this guy lived a... Did he live a long life? No. Did he live a full life? Yes, and you will too. He He would also write, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And that's what he did. That's how he lived. Let me give you one more reason you ought to obey obey as children. Because Jesus did. That's a pretty good reason, don't you think? Well, it's not in the text, but i got to throw it in there for what it's worth. I mean, in 
Luke chapter 2, it says Jesus, at 12 years old, went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. You think about this just for a moment. He's 12 years old. He's on the cusp of adulthood. He's old enough to stand on his own two feet, and he has, he's more competent in the faith than both of his parents combined, and he has just confounded the theological intelligentsia of the day. He's already filled with wisdom, and he has no sin. But here he is, submissive, not just to his heavenly father, but to his earthly father. I mean, can you imagine his parents coming up to him? What are you doing, son? You, you got us worried sick. We've been looking all over for you. Can you imagine if Jesus would have said, do you know who I am? He could have done that. In fact, I was, just the other day I was in a restaurant with a friend, and we were being very poorly served, I might add. I won't say what restaurant. And it was getting a little exasperating. A waiter, waitress walking back and forth, just walking right by us like we didn't even exist. And so we had a fun little conversation between, what can we do to get her attention? I know. I could look at her and say, do you know who I am? I didn't do that. <laughs> but Jesus could have. And he'd have been right to do so. Now he did say it must be about my father's business. That would have kind of mesmerized him a little bit, huh? His earthly father being right there. And he wasn't talking about Joseph. But Jesus' entire life was marked by obedience. He is the ultimate example to all of us to obey, is he not? Remember the old hymn, one day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt amongst men, my example is he. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Amen? That's Jesus. Philippians 2, 2 verse 8 says, He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. His entire scope of his life, beginning to end, was one of obedience. And really, as he walked, as a 12-year-old, as he, as he went with his parents, the very next verse says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He grew in all four areas you want your kid to grow in. He grew in wisdom. He grew mentally. He grew in stature. He, he grew physically. Get, getting, you know, that, we want our kids to grow physically strong. Give them the right foods. Give them the right exercise. Make them work, discipline. In favor with God, spiritually. And in favor with men, socially. That's a, that's a, that's a well-balanced kid right there. And Jesus was all of that. And those are reasons you ought to obey as well. But I get it. How do we honor the dishonorable? I know that amongst here in this room, and those of you watching online, some of you had dishonorable parents. A dishonorable mother or a dishonorable father. Maybe both. I mean, they were sinners, and they, and they really exploited their sin. By the way, aren't we all dishonorable? Aren't we all sinners? You might want to remember that. Every one of us are that way. But I get it. 
But we need to remind, you need, you need to remember this. When you grew up in Jesus' day, whether you had an honorable, honorable parents or dishonorable parents, the DHS didn't exist in Bible times. The Department of Human Services didn't come in and rescue you from an abusive situation. They wouldn't do that. So, you know, if, you know too bad to be you if you were in that situation, except that God would take care of you. Amen? And has and will. By the way, in the first century, Rome, there was a, there was a law called the Patria Potestas. It was, it, it was a, a term which meant, Latin term which meant... Uh, Greek and Latin as both, which meant the father rules. The father ruled. The father was literally a law to himself. He could do whatever he wanted to his kids. In fact, there is a surviving letter in the first century of a Roman. I don't know if he's a captain or what, but he's writing home. His wife is pregnant. And he says, he says when the baby comes, if it's, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard it. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Christianity exalted the sacredness of every individual in every status of life. And while Jesus was not born into an abusive home, imagine how many times he would have had to bite his lip. He's talking to two sinning parents. That may be, but it's still true that it's hard to honor the dishonorable. We've, on countless times, we've had to counsel kids and those in early adulthood whose parents have lived a dishonorable life. I remember my wife and I were in the home of a guy. When I was a young, I was a young preacher right out of the chute. Pretty dangerous, I might add. I was being, uh, I was being, I was going to all these churches in northern Iowa and, and southern Minnesota, preaching a little, preaching these itsy bitsy churches. And there was a guy that was putting me in there. He was a church planner. So I mean, I was looking up to him. He was my example. My wife and I spent a night in their home, and everything was in order and lockstep in this home. The kids, I mean, he was, he had four boys: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He goes, I got my gospels, which was funny. But, I mean, they obeyed him to the T. They feared him. His wife feared him. She did everything. And my wife and I were brand new Christians. And we knew there was just something wrong going on here. But we couldn't put our finger on it. We just didn't know any better. Within about 10, 15 years, give or take, the entire family just imploded. Boys went their way. The wife went her way, divorced him, and remarried. I found, I found him. I found him recently. Where he's at. You know what the sad thing about it is? He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed at all. But be encouraged by this. Some of the most loving, tender-hearted fathers I know came from really bad homes. One of my dearest friends in California, his name's Charlie. I mentor him and his wife. He's a pastor now. He came from a horrific home. He spoke at a men's steak and cornfield a few years ago. A horrific home. But he's so loving, so tender. The grace of God changes everything, amen? So if you're in a gospel-less home where Jesus isn't spoken of, the Bible isn't read, you know, spiritual things are just at a low ebb, honor your father and mother. This has nothing to do with the status of their spirituality. If you're in an abusive home, 
Honor your father and mother, but get help. Seek help by an authority or a pastor. And remember the words of Jesus who said in John chapter 10, the Son of Man has not come to bring peace, but a what? A what? A sword. And I'll divide even families. So when you think about the dismantling of what the ideologies that we're dealing with right now in this present hour out there are trying to do by dismantling our families, it's not just ungodly movements and ideologies that separate families. The gospel will do that. Because we ought to obey God rather than what? Men, right? It will do that. It did that to me. Now, I have been able to reconcile with my family, and I'm still trying to win them with the love of Jesus. But I can still remember one day being particularly down early in my walk with God. My family was cutting me down with words and cutting me off from communication. I was super, super down. And on that very day, a friend of mine who came to Christ at the same time called me up and shared with me Psalm 27, verse 10, which says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. And he'll take care of you too. No matter what kind of environment you have, God has told us to honor our fathers and our mothers. And in order to be the child that pleases God, you need to first become a child of God. And some of you are not. This law isn't going to save you. Only Jesus can do that. Because as many as received him, that means to take him in, to them God gives the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Have you received him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life? That's where it all begins. Will you pray with me as we prepare for the Lord's table? Father, thank you for this time we could spend in your word. Look at this fifth commandment. And I pray right now, I pray for those of you who know Jesus and you're preparing your hearts right now for the Lord's table. Would you just examine yourself in this regard? Have you honored your father and your mother? Do you honor them? If you do, praise the Lord. If you don't, would you? Would you repent that you haven't? Would you be willing, some of you, to go back to your moms or your dads if they're still alive and express your regret and seek forgiveness for the way you treated them or the difficulty you might have put them through. For those of you who don't know Jesus, would you see him as the ultimate example and more than that, as the one who died for your sins and rose again? Would you place your faith in him and become a child of God today? God, as we prepare for the Lord's table, this is a time for Christians only those who have a relationship with you should be participating in this sacred moment, be it here in this room or online. We believe the bread is a beautiful representation of the perfect life of Jesus, his perfect example. And as we place our life up against his, we see how sinful we are and we confess our sins. Is there any sin God is bringing to your heart right now that you want to confess? And as we partake of the, of the juice that represents his blood, his new covenant in his blood, 
We want to remember you, Jesus, and thank you for dying for our sins. As we give you the glory in Jesus' name, amen.